Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims steal the show at Big 12 Media Days. We'll hear what they had to say down in Arlington. What's Oklahoma's trap game for 2022? We'll talk about that as well on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams, and joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him on 94.7, The Ref in Norman, from 9 to noon, Monday through Friday. Josh, it was a, a good week for the Oklahoma Sooners at Big 12 Media Day. If you can win a press conference, I think they did a pretty good job with that. Um, Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Mims took to the stage on Thursday. What was your kind of initial reaction to what they had to say to the media? Well, I, I thought Dylan Gabriel sounds again like the leader that he's been billed to be for Oklahoma. And just the way he carried himself demonstrated that. The way he sat up there with Andre Ware and Dusty Dvorak on the TV dais. The way that Marvin Mims talked about Dylan Gabriel, I think, illustrated that again. And then collectively, Tasa, obviously, Woody Washington and others that were there in, in Big 12 Media Days in as stars for Oklahoma as well, Ethan Downs. But uh, I thought Brent Venables, it was kind of more of the same from Brent Venables, what we've sort of been hearing, but probably from the national landscape or I guess the local landscape beyond Norman, Oklahoma. If you look at just the big 12, some of these other writers and columnists and talk show hosts probably, you know, have caught bits and pieces of what Brent Venables has had to say. So this was his official state of the union for the rest of the big 12 media. And again, I thought he was great as you would expect Brent Venables to be great. Speaking of Venables, I think the thing that stood out to most from when he spoke was just his discussion about the transfers that came in. Yes, they lost a lot, but all of the games played, all of the games started of the guys that are coming in, specifically Jeffrey Johnson, Dylan Gabriel, Trey Morrison. I mean, the list goes on and on of a group of guys that have a ton of experience that are going to be coming in and filling roles that, and potentially starting for the Oklahoma Sooners, replacing guys that started on the team this last year probably went to the NFL, several transferred to other schools. And so to me, I think that was the, the big question, I think, for a lot of people. And that was, what's Oklahoma going to do with the turnover? And kind of right off the top, he says, this is what we've done about all the turnover. We brought in a bunch of guys with, with a bunch of experience. We're going to be able to step in and contribute for us right away. These guys aren't coming in to, to be depth players, rotational players. I mean, some of those guys will be. But a guy like Jeffrey Johnson, a guy like Dylan Gabriel, they're going to be expected to start. Trey Morrison, he's going to eat up a ton of snaps in the defensive backfield. So to me, I think that was probably the biggest thing that stood out is that he's putting a lot of um, or putting high expectations on the guys that they brought in in the transfer portal in 2022. Yeah, upwards of 200 starts among that transfer group that Brent Venables was talking about, upwards of 400 
games played among that group of transfers that Brent Venables was talking about. So there is a lot of experience there and there's a lot of production there for Oklahoma. And they need those guys to be really, really good in 2022. I mean, no brainer, no duh with Dylan Gabriel, as would typify any team as your quarterback goes. So will the Oklahoma Sooners or insert college football or NFL team right here. So we know that with Dylan Gabriel, but really for the Jeffrey Johnsons of the world and the Jonah Laulas, Trey Morrison, McCade Mataya, we've talked a lot about him on this platform, his importance to Oklahoma's offensive line. So they've just Daniel Parker Jr. That's sort of a sneaky maybe transfer that could have an impact on Oklahoma. But yeah, they've just across the board really supplemented their roster through the transfer portal, which that's the day and age of college football we live in. And it's no different for Oklahoma. And there was Brent Venables up there, uh, obviously touching on a little bit more poetically, maybe than either yourself or mine, you know, discussing these transfers and the types of additions they make to Oklahoma. Yeah. He's one to bring the stats to you. Like, Hey, we got 400 games played and 200 something starts amongst these transfers coming in. And the most, the key one is Dylan Gabriel. Like we have high expectations. We think he's going to be really, really good operating in Jeff Levy's offense, but let's hear what he had to say just about the, the idea of coming to Oklahoma and the pressure that comes with that. You got to love it too. You know, the spring game having 75 K there. And then of course, just a passion for this program. Um, You can feel it. Um, Statistics show it, you know, with the spring game. And then of course, you know, the sellout. So, you know, we just want to represent our, our university in the right way. My coaches, my teammates with class, respect, humility, and, of course, being confident as heck. So. Good stuff. Being confident as heck. And I think that's the thing that, that stands out about Dylan Gabriel, and, and that's what Brent Venables talked about as well, is he's a confident player, but he's also a humble player. Like, he he's not somebody that's going to be boisterous and braggadocious and, um, you know, maybe not – much like a, a Spencer Rattler, that's just the first name that kind of popped into my head. He's not going to, you know, have a, a very um, outgoing personality in his leadership style, but he's very confident in what he does. And, and I think just another quote from Brent Venables on him is that he he's a galvanizing player. He's able to get guys to rally to a cause. And obviously the cause for the Oklahoma Sooners is to win games. I think that, you know, just watching him up there, with Dusty and with Andre, I think he's got a little bit of swagger to him. Listening to him say that, you know, you got to be confident mm-hmm. as heck. I, again, dare I say it, dare I do the cliche comparison that he's got a little baker to him. I, I think that he's got a little bit of that to him, a little underdog, little chip on the shoulder mentality, a little bit of, yeah, you know, I've, I've read your think pieces on I'm from UCF coming to Oklahoma no, I'm not worried about stepping up and playing in the Big 12 Conference. He was asked uh, that question as well, John, which was, hey, what do you think about the Big 12 Conference? What do you think about stepping up in competition and being a part of this league? And he sort of shrugged it off. Eh, ball is ball. So he's got a way about him. He's got a confidence. He's got a belief in himself. And that's what you want, right? From your quarterback, you want not necessarily total cockiness, But, yeah, you want a little cockiness. You want a little confidence in what your quarterback is doing because those other guys, again, being a galvanizing force, they feed off that quarterback. And Dylan Gabriel, as we get to know him a little bit better here in Norman and Oklahoma City and Sooner Nation and beyond, 
I, I think he's got a little bit of that swagger. I'm digging it. Yeah, I think what's what I like about it is it's subtle. You know what I mean? Like it just comes out like a little bit. You know, you, you don't get like a full um, helping of it. You get kind of a moosh bouche of swag from Dylan Gabriel. And I'm going to I'm gonna put that one out on Twitter. That's that's just what it is. Um, you know, he gives you a little taste like but he's not going to get he's not going to show all of it because he wants his play to speak for himself. And part of that is understanding like what he has to improve upon. And I think that's where kind of the humility aspect comes in on this is like, yes, he believes in his ability, but also understands that we've all got things that we can improve. I think I really dove in, you know, from last year, just the diet aspect of things, um, getting my body right where I wanted to be weight-wise, you know, so I could withstand, you know, just the wear and tear with, within a season. And then, of course, on the mental side, just taking the next step, taking it to a whole other level, whether it's reads, coverages, protections, just being able to feel no questions when I get out there. Yeah, and I, and I think that's part of every, you know, college athlete's experience is they have to build a little bit more each year on top of what they've already done, you know, whether it's a physical aspect, the mental aspect, and for the quarterback, it's all of that. Like you got to improve on every single aspect of those things to, in order to elevate your game to the next level. And for somebody like Dylan Gabriel, understanding that nutritional portion of it, you probably have an idea when you get to a place like central Florida. And now obviously when you're further along, you have, the type of decorated career so far that Dylan Gabriel does, 8,000-plus passing yards, the 70 passing touchdowns, he gets it. He's been around the block, but he's got a greater understanding of it. He's got a greater understanding of, okay, I am going to have some wear and tear. And, you know, oh, by the way, Dylan Gabriel is somebody that, because of uh, an injury, didn't finish the 2021 season, right? Only uh, appeared in several games. So, again, just understanding – how can I best position myself physically, mentally to go attack this thing in 2022 for Oklahoma? You know, my favorite thing about the, the clip we just showed, if you're watching over on YouTube, was all of the targets to Marvin Mims. Uh, I wrote a piece on just kind of Marvin Mims underutilization over at Sooners Wire. And uh, we're going to hear from Marvin Mims after the break what he had to what he thinks about Dylan Gabriel, what he thinks about the Oklahoma offense. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL. Well, the playoffs are over, so get ready for next year's NHL season. Major League Baseball, get ready for college football with futures and NFL future lines as well over at Bet Online. It's the spot. For all of your sports scores, podcasts, news this season, betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline is where the game starts. And thanks so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate every subscriber, every download, every listen. Make sure you tell a friend about Locked On Sooners, but also check out the Locked On NFL channel starting July 18th. Which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Well, starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at BetOnline. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. So Josh, Marvin Mims, the number one target for the Oklahoma Sooners, 
who should have been the number one target for the Oklahoma Sooners last year, ended up finishing fourth in targets behind Jaden Hazelwood, Mario Williams, and Michael Woods, and just had four more targets than Jeremiah Hall. I expect him to have a big, big season this year. He's expecting the Oklahoma Sooners offense to be just as good, if not better, heading into 2022. Hey man, Coach Mills is back. You know, that's a big deal for people in Norman. Uh, he's bringing back the old gritty football, the way they used to play it back in the day. And um, we're excited. I mean, we're really looking forward to it. We've been practicing our butts off, and we're just ready to go out there on the field in September. Thoughts? Gets me pumped up listening to his immediate reaction. You know, the question, the line of questioning there is important to understand that response for him. He was asked, why, Marvin, do you think that there's not going to be a drop-off for Oklahoma? In response, come on, baby. Brent Venables is back. People in Norman are excited. Uh, Brent Venables, he's here to save the day. No, but uh, there is that very palpable feeling around Norman, Oklahoma, and I'm sure it's been infectious toward you know Marvin Mims and, well, just all these other guys that – have been a part of the program either last season or the last couple of seasons. It's, it's fresh, right? It's new. It's different. And that's exciting for somebody like Marvin Mims, who we found out this week, that was probably the biggest revelation in terms of Oklahoma's stay at big 12 media days. We found out John that it, it shouldn't be a big surprise, but Marvin Mims was vocal about the fact that, Hey, he didn't feel he got enough targets. And that was a, a constant talking point to the, towards the end of the season. I mean, he had nine games last year with three or fewer targets. Again, I mentioned it. He had just four more targets than Jeremiah Hall. And all due respect to Jeremiah Hall, a fabulous pass-catching tight end, not nearly as dynamic as Marvin Mims. Your number one wide receiver, the guy who's led the team in receiving yards each of the last two seasons, and still only got, I think it was 41 targets on the season. Now, let's compare that to, say, Alabama. So Alabama's top two receivers, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, they each had over 100, yard, 100 targets on the season. The third guy on the Alabama Crimson Tide had 57 targets, 16 more targets than Marvin Mims, the third receiver. Dontario Drummond, the leading receiver for Ole Miss last year, had over 100 targets, 70-something receptions over a thousand yards. Like it's easy to, to see like your best receiver gets the football in the best offenses. And while Oklahoma's offense was good at times last year, it was very inconsistent. And one of those inconsistencies was not getting the ball to their best playmaker on the outside, Marvin Mims. There were several games where he had big performances, but again, it was very, it was few and far between. And I think that was just one of the symptoms of what was going on last year. Some of it was we had good depth at wide receiver and they were really trying to rotate everybody in. But when Marvin Mims is like the third or fourth player, I think he was third in snaps amongst wide receivers last year. That's, that's not okay. When he's fourth in targets, that's not okay. When you average 22 yards per reception, you got to figure out a way to get that guy the football. And I think moving forward, that's going to be something that we see. I'll give you credit here, man. You've been front and center out in front of this deal for a while, dating back to just your coverage last season, Matt. You thought, not specific to Marvin Mims, 
But in general, Oklahoma, with their wide receivers, got a little too caught up in the idea of, hey, everybody's got to get snaps. Let's keep everybody fresh. Rotate, rotate, rotate. And then once you break it down individually to, to Marvin Mims, who, again, we found out the revelation, and it's not much of a revelation, that, yes, indeed, he was frustrated to the point with his amount of targets that if Lincoln Riley had stayed, not after Lincoln Riley left, but if Lincoln Riley had stayed, Marvin Mims probably would not be coming back to uh, wear an Oklahoma Sooners uniform. That's the type of frustration that Marvin Mims had. Yeah, no, it's not okay when you break it down individually that Marvin Mims, are you kidding me? He's going to have the third most snaps among wide receivers. He's going to have the fourth most targets. Uh, That is not a recipe for success. Your number one wide receiver does, he does need to get targets. He does need to get the football. Marvin Mims is too talented to not get utilized in that fashion. The good news for Marvin Mims, John, is you've got an offensive coordinator now coming over in Jeff Levy, who, what does he like to do? Well, he likes to force feed the rock to especially his number one wide receiver. He's got that big time as a part of his track record. Yeah, there's going to be several things that lead to Marvin Mims getting more opportunities this year. First of all, Oklahoma's just going to run more plays. Under Jeff Levy's system, we know the tempo is going to be fast. This is what they're wanting to do. We saw a little bit of it in the spring game. And so we're going to see more plays, which means more opportunities for everybody. But specifically, it's going to be more opportunities for your number one wide receiver. Who is Marvin Mims? If that is, if there's any doubt about that, let's clear that up. It's Marvin Mims. Theo Weiss, you're great. We're glad you're back. We're glad you're healthy. But you're not Marvin Mims. Like you're you're a great player, but Marvin Mims is your number one wide receiver. You're kind of a one A, a number two, and that's great. Like every good college offense needs two good wide receivers. But we got to get the ball to Marvin Mims. He's gotta he's gotta have more than 100 targets this year, it, especially if they're gonna be running 70 plays a game on offense. And you fact, if you figure half of those at least are pass plays, that's what 33 or 36, 30. I don't know, doing bad math on the fly. 38 and a half, you know, plays a game are pass plays. If you just go, just break it right down the middle. Okay. And then you're thinking, okay, your number one wide receiver probably needs to get at least 10 targets a game out of 38. Say they only throw it 30 times a game. Your number one wide receiver needs to get at least eight or nine of those targets. And so if we're looking at that over the course of a 12, 13 game season, that's going to easily push Marvin Mims to hundred targets. I mean, there was the Oklahoma state game. He had two targets and one catch. It was a four-yard reception. In the second half, they were completely dominated by the Oklahoma State defense, and they couldn't figure out a way to get Marvin Mims the football. Again, that's just one of the symptoms of the failures that happened on offense last year is not being able to figure out a way to get your best player on offense the football. Kennedy Brooks got the ball plenty, but when you wanted to, when you needed to, to throw the ball, you couldn't get Marvin Mims the football? Come on. Yeah, and it wasn't just the Oklahoma State game. There were – I don't have pro football focuses game by game list in front of me, but I was looking earlier this morning at this, as you start really thinking and dissecting, why would Marvin Mims have been that frustrated? Well, once you start doing that game by game, you see that it wasn't just the Oklahoma state game, John, there were four or five games where Marvin Mims had, you know, three or less targets. And again, not to just beat the dead horse here, but it's just totally unacceptable that uh, Marvin Mims would not get utilized better than that. The good news for him, 
Also, John, is not only does he have an offensive coordinator that wants to get him the football, I think he's got a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel that understands, hey, it's probably in my best interest to go ahead and share the wealth with my man Marvin Mims. Yeah, so while you were talking, I went ahead and brought up the pro football focus game-by-game game breakdown for Marvin Mims, his, his uh, weekly uh, target count and uh, reception. So um, game one, they come out, they're feeding Marvin Mims the ball, seven targets. He ends up with five catches for 117 yards, averages 23.4 yards per reception. Awesome. That's a great start to the season. It tells you what you're expecting from your number one wide receiver. Okay, against Western Carolina, only two car- targets, but the starting offense didn't really play much in that game. Throw against the whole Nebraska, game out. Yeah, that one we're not going to even count. Uh, Nebraska, only two targets, two catches for 32 yards. What happened to the offense in that game? Only 23 points. They struggled. And two, several, two of those points came out on special teams on a Pat Fields uh, return for a touchdown or for a turn for a two-point conversion. Uh, and then you look at the next game, West Virginia, two catches on two targets for 25 yards. What happened in that game? 16 points, three-point win over West Virginia. Um, had a g- pretty good game against Kansas State, four targets for 71 yards against Texas. And in that game against Kansas State, what they do? Scored 37 points against Texas, five catches on five targets for 136 yards and two touchdowns. And a lot of people want to point to Caleb Williams on those plays. But Marvin Mims absolutely bails Caleb Williams out in those 50-50 situations against Texas on those deep balls, especially the one that he caught along the sideline as he's like diving backwards into the, tu- into the end zone. Uh, and then what did Oklahoma do in that game? Score 55 points. So we're seeing a bit of a trend here, right? Uh, sure. Against TCU, you know, only three targets, but he had 56 yards, two catches for 56 yards. TCU, they score big against that one. All right, now let's look at Kansas. One target. One catch for 14 yards. Oklahoma was shut out in the first half in that game. Uh, interesting. Texas Tech, four catches on five targets for 135 yards and two touchdowns. Again, you got your number one wide receiver the ball, and what they do? They performed. Offensively, they scored a lot of points. Against Baylor, three targets, two catches, 17 yards. Iowa State, oh, in that Baylor game, you got beat, and you didn't score very many points. Iowa State. Three targets, one catch, 22 yards. Uh, you beat Iowa State, you scored 28 points. But again, a defensive touchdown on the Jalen Redmond thick six, as it was dubbed. I can't remember by who. Uh, but yeah. And then Oklahoma State, again, we mentioned it. Two targets, one reception uh, for four yards. Again, how many, Oregon. How many did you say versus Iowa State? One catch for 22 yards on three targets. And then against Oklahoma State, it was the one catch on two targets for four yards. Against Oregon, two catches on two targets for 57 yards. Now they scored, you know, they did great in that game, but that was kind of more of a kind of a Kennedy Brooks game. Like Kennedy Brooks had a great game in that one. You didn't need to throw the ball a lot because you got out to a huge lead in the first half and didn't really need to do much else in the second half. And so you didn't need to throw the ball to him. But Marvin Mims had some big plays. And then you fast forward to the spring game and what did, Dylan Gabriel do? What did the offense do? They got the ball to Marvin Mims and he made plays uh, in his short time with the number one offense. And so if they go back to 2021 and they make sure he's the guy that's getting the most snaps at wide receiver, the guy that's getting the most targets at wide receiver, I think we see more consistency with this offense over the course of the year. And I think this offense performs better 
But that's not the way things transpired. Moving forward, I think we're going to see more consistency week to week. I think I think I would really like, and this is my hope, is that they move him back outside. Yes, he could play in the slot, but I think he's best served playing in that kind of X position or in the Y position on the outside where he can have the whole field to work with. And he's able to kind of run those deep, you know, those deep crossing routes, those deep routes down the sideline. That's where I want to see him work. And I think bringing in LV Bunkley Shelton and JV and Hester, the two transfers from Arizona State and Missouri, who played a ton in the slot last year, I think that's going to help the Oklahoma Sooners be able to move him to the outside because you've got several guys now that can play on the inside. Sorry, that's a long diatribe on Marvin Mims, but get my man Marvin Mims the football. Get in the rock and just, uh, you know, thinking about what you shared there, that's even tossing the Western Carolina game to the side. That's four games that Marvin Mims had two targets or less and a handful of others that he only had three targets, right? So, I mean, you're talking about a third of your season to begin with that Marvin Mims, the arguably the best player on Oklahoma's roster – last season only gets a couple of targets and a handful of others, definitely more than half of the season where he gets three or less. So just wild to think about. Yeah, it really is for a guy that as a true freshman led the, you know, tied for the team lead in receptions and led the team in yards, averaging 16 and a half yards per reception. So like he, he had more targets as a true freshman in two fewer games than he did as a sophomore it just every time I think about it, it just boggles my mind. And and it's there's a and there's a lot of reason for why everybody was so frustrated with Marvin Mims' lack of usage last year. It's because he wasn't utilized like he should have been. I mean, anytime you have a guy that's averaging more than 20 yards per reception, you got to get him the football. The last guy we saw do that was CD Lamb, you know, back in I think it was 2019. He averaged more than 20 yards per reception. And what happened? They didn't really throw the ball a lot, but what did they do when they did? They tried to force feed CD Lamb. That's something they got away with, got away from last year with Marvin Mims, and that's something Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel have to get back to because he's a dynamic player that opens things up for the rest of the offense if he's a threat. You know, if you make sure that teams know that you're going to go target him, no matter where he's lined up, no matter what coverage you give him, we're going to throw the ball to Marvin Mims then teams have to respect the fact that you're going to throw the Marvin Mims and that Marvin Mims can beat you on any play. I mean, he might not have the Marquise Brown speed, but he's shown and he's proven over his first two seasons that he can beat you in a number of ways, especially over the top. And so unless you start force feeding it sometimes though, teams aren't going to believe that you're going to target him. If they say, Hey, we can just double team Marvin Mims over here, or at least show a bracket coverage on this side. They're not going to throw that way. We can focus our attention over here on Theo Weiss on the other side or on Drake Stoops in the slot. I mean, you, you can't just hope that the decoy works. you got to kind of force it sometimes to make it work. I'm trying to think of that Seinfeld quote, and you want to be my I, – I can't remember what it is. You want to be my salesman. You, you want to tell me that Lincoln Riley is this great offensive mind. At times he is, but he had his own flaws as well. And we saw with, with uh, obviously Marvin Mims, boy, that is uh, really one of them highlighted in a big, big way. Yeah. So just spend about 15 minutes talking about Marvin Mims. And coming up next, we're going to talk about Oklahoma's 
trap game as uh, designated by Athlon Sports. It's an interesting game that's popped up in several publications I've, I've looked at recently, and we'll talk about it coming up after this. Josh, it's West Virginia. West Virginia is considered Oklahoma's traps, trap game by Athlon Sports. And interestingly enough, you look over at College Football News, and they went game by game and, cho- and picked Oklahoma's record for the 2022 season. And that was also a loss, according to College Football News in their preseason predictions. So let's just look at what Athlon Sports had to say here. They said, the Big 12 doesn't have a runaway contender for the league title. And with very little separation in the middle of the conference, expect the middle class to pick off the teams at the top a couple of times in 2022. A trip to Morgantown is never easy, and Oklahoma gets that honor a week after hosting Baylor and a Saturday before the Bedlam showdown versus Oklahoma State. Also of note, games against TCU, October 27th versus Iowa State, and November 26th at Texas Tech after playing Oklahoma State certainly fit here too. I mean, the schedule is tough. Like, it, it is what it is. You get Baylor and Oklahoma State at home. That helps you. Get Kansas State at home. That helps you. But there's, there's tough games throughout. But I thought it was interesting that they picked West Virginia. Obviously, going to Morgantown, that's a formidable place to play. Um, what do you think about that, Josh? I think there's three obvious candidates on the schedule for potential trap game. And it's really whichever one you want to pick among those three. It's at TCU the week before Texas and the week after uh, hosting Kansas State in Norman. It's at Iowa State the week before hosting Baylor. That's an October 29th game versus Iowa State. Or it's uh, at West Virginia after that Baylor game and ahead of the Oklahoma State game. So just where it falls on the schedule, I definitely understand why they would pick that trip to Morgantown as Oklahoma's trap game. I probably, for me, I think I would lean TCU just because I – gut feel I think they're going to be a little bit better than West Virginia but we'll see West Virginia has one of the most disruptive defensive linemen and stills up front Uh, how JT Daniels how good he is at quarterback will go a long way in determining whether or not that is a truly scary road trip for Oklahoma heading up to Morgantown remember West Virginia is a team that though they played some really really memorable games in Morgantown, West Virginia's not beaten Oklahoma since joining the the Big 12 Conference. So knock on wood for that. It's a good pick. I, I don't have a big beef with it. I, I don't know. Like I said, it's between those three. Do you have a strong leaning between those three? Did they get it right? Well, it's interesting because when I did my like way too early season predictions over at Sooners Wire, I picked the TCU game. Um, I thought that the offense would be the first kind of big test for Brent Venable's defense. I mean, they opened the season with UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska. Sorry to the UTEP listener that regularly wants to tell us that UTEP's going to be great and is going to upset Oklahoma. I don't believe you. No, it's not going to happen. UTEP's going to get rolled in Brent Venable's first game, like Owen Field, Gaylor, you know, Oklahoma family or Gaylor family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium is going to be hyped. Brent Venables is going to be hyped. That team is going to be ready to run through anybody that's in front of them on that day. And sorry, UTEP, that's not happening. Kent State, Kent State is a basically the level of, of Kansas, like, you know, one of the bottom 30 teams in the country, according to ESPN FPI. 
And then you have Nebraska. Now, Nebraska got a Casey Thompson in the transfer portal. Is he going to be better than Adrian Martinez was last year? I don't think so. I mean, Casey Thompson did help the Texas Longhorns put up a bunch of points on you in the Red River Showdown, but he doesn't have Xavier Worthy. He doesn't have Bajan Robinson that he can get the ball to. So I don't necessarily think that's going to be a huge test uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners defense. But I do think that Sonny Dykes with either Chandler Morris or Max Duggan um, and with Quentin Johnston, I think that is going to be a tough test. I mean, Quentin Johnston, I mean, that's like Hakeem Butler recreated from Iowa State a few years back. Like Hakeem Butler absolutely torched the, the Sooners a few years ago. And Quentin Johnston did the same thing last year. And so that's one of those matchups that I look for. I'm like, yikes. Like, is he not in the NFL yet? Like, can somebody draft him already? Because I'm tired of seeing him. And I, it's only been one time. Um, so that was the game that I kind of chose as like, you know, if Oklahoma is going to lose a game, this is the one that felt like it because they'll be coming off of the road trip to, to Lincoln to face Nebraska. They'll play TCU in Fort Worth and then they'll have the Red River showdown. So it's one of those like coming out of a rivalry, going into a game that, okay, typically you win that game. There might potentially be a letdown as you're also looking, potentially looking ahead to the Red River Showdown. So it, it definitely falls into the iconic definition of trap game for me. Yeah. And, you know, the other game there would, would be Kansas State before it. So you've yeah. got the big road trip to Lincoln, and then you've got a Kansas State team that oh, will okay, require. They'll, yeah, they'll I totally require, forgot Kansas State. They'll require your attention you know, both offensively and defensively. They might have the best defensive player, Kansas State, in the league. They've got one of the best offensive linemen in the league. And, of course, we know in Deuce Vaughn, you know, take your pick. Is it B. John Robinson? Okay, maybe, maybe, probably. But if it's not B. John Robinson, then it's definitely Deuce Vaughn. That's the best running back in this league, both, you know, rushing and receiving. So that's a little two-game stretch that will be – challenging very challenging for Oklahoma ahead of TCU you toss in the traditional trap game factor of playing Texas the next week you hope that you're never looking ahead right but if you have to pick a trap game I'm with you TCU was the the game initially that I would have identified for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned Quentin Johnston all big 12 first team wide receiver for a reason we'll see which direction they go at quarterback whether it's Morris whether it's Duggan Probably it's it's going to be dug in again, but uh, we shall see. There's some interesting candidates in that regard. I can understand why they picked West Virginia. I don't know that it would be uh, my first pick until I see otherwise that uh, West Virginia is, in fact, improved. Yeah, and I think if you look at the schedule, there's – I mean, there's a lot of games on the schedule that you like, okay. I mean, I, I see how this team could be pretty good and maybe they could knock off the Sooners. It's unlikely, but here's how they could do it kind of a thing. And, and maybe that's something we go through at some point here over the next couple of months before we get to the regular season. But I also look at the schedule and I think, well, every single game is winnable for the Oklahoma Sooners. Like if things fall right, they can win every game in the Big 12 schedule, in their non-conference schedule. Uh, I just think that they're going to be pretty good on both sides of the football and be able to get out ahead of teams offensively and then let the pass rush do its work and getting after teams as they're trying to play catch up a little bit. Uh, this is, and I think that's going to be the style of kind of complimentary football that the Oklahoma Sooners are going to be able to play is score a lot of points, build up a 10, 20 point lead, and then just 
get after the, the quarterback as they're trying to play catch up. And it's just going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to be kind of almost insurmountable. It seems like a 10, 15, 14 point lead, I think will be mostly insur- insurmountable uh, because this pass rush is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, I think we might be underselling or certain people might be underselling like the, the rotation of Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes and Marcus Stripling and Jonah Lalula. I think that's going to be a really, really nice four man rotation that you can have on the, off the edge. Uh, and then with Jalen Redmond on the inside, it's, it's going to be a team that's going to be able to relentlessly uh, attack the quarterback. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, there are multiple games on the schedule that are definitely going to be tough. Uh, the road trip to Iowa state um, in late October or early November um, obviously Bedlam is always going to be tough. Red River showdown is going to be tough. Fort Worth against TCU, Kansas state will play you tough and then traveling to West Virginia and, and facing the Mountaineers in Morgantown. That's always going to be a tough one too. So um, it, it's a tough schedule. And I think the big 12 is, is getting it kind of right right now. Like the depth of the conference is pretty strong as it stands at, at the moment. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, in the 2022 season. Josh, do you have any final thoughts on this or anything else that we talked about on today's show? It's a tough schedule because every Big 12 or Power 5 schedule is a quote-unquote tough schedule. But what you said earlier, I agree with you. I mean, look, I don't think 12-0 is out of the realm of possibility for Oklahoma. It's been a long time since uh, they've been able to do that. But just the way the schedule shakes out, the fact that Nebraska is – still down and Scott Frost is fighting for his job this season. We'll see how all of that comes together. O'Shawn Mathis is a nice uh, other transfer portal pickup for them. But, you know, beyond that, once you get into league play, yeah, TCU will be a, a tough road trip, but it's not a road trip to Waco again. It's not a road trip to Stillwater again. Uh, obviously, because of the Red River rivalry gets played, you're not going to – Austin, Texas. So you get Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Kansas State at home. From that standpoint, Oklahoma is set up, I think, really, really favorably with this 2022 schedule. Now you gotta you gotta go make that count. You gotta go take care of business with it. And I can't wait. For less than two months away, September 3rd will be here before we know it. You the UTEP miners will be coming to Norman before we know it. And man, it's getting so close to the start of football season. It's going to be really exciting. Make sure you're tuned in to Locked On Sooners as we get you ready for the 2022 season. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the show over there and let us know how you feel about the show. And, man, it's, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait to see Jeff Levy's offense roll out the first time that they take the field and then Brent Venable's defense let's hear it from the man one last time before we sign off today i love my players past and present they'll tell you that i'm going to coach him really really hard but i'm going to love him more i'm going to love him more we will employ an exciting fast explosive and diverse offense combined with a physical punishing relentless suffocating defense And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. Boomer Sooner.